The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Well, um, just a couple other notes. As some of you have already figured out, there is shade over there, so if you are burning up, feel free to hop out of your square. You're not bound to your square. Uh, We'd love for you to find shade if you need it, and especially if they're younger ones that need some wiggles, take them around there. I wish we could uh, put a slip and slide or something over there, but don't get that today. Also, um, just another reminder, we are recording this, so if you want to go back to audio and uh, video. And um, as a sign-in, so if you notice, we didn't pass any black pads. Uh, So what we are doing is an online sign-in. And you can find that it's in your bulletin, actually. You see it right there uh, in the corner, uh, kind of new updated worship check-in. So christpres.org um, slash worship. And you can check in there both on your phone or um, on your laptop or whatever it is. So whatever you brought with you today. Uh, you know, I don't know if y'all did this, but I remember being um, going abroad as a student years ago. And um, it was a fun experience. It was a gift. You know, it was a real gift. Uh, but I also remember how different it was when I worked at, um, as a campus minister talking to students that went abroad. Um, because uh, huge droves would, of them would go for a whole semester. I went for just a, a, like a couple months in the summer. And I was always uh, meeting with them beforehand because it was interesting talking about their excitement and the groups of students that would go. And some of you that work with them over there know exactly what I'm talking about is uh, they would go abroad. And the thing that was so interesting, we would meet with them beforehand. And the reason we did was to say, hey, get ready because first, let's talk about where you're going to find a church in a whole nother place, uh, where you, um, you know, how you're going to find friendships, you know, what's life going to be like but we would actually prep them even more and have a meeting for when they came back. Because what I always noticed was the hardest time for all of them was not the going, it was the coming back. They were incredibly discombobulated. The pace of life was so different. You know, going to Europe or wherever they were and studying and taking time to slow down and then to come back to the world of Vanderbilt, which is where I was, which was like, go, 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 go. What do you have next? Every square is filled, right? No pun intended. But, but legitimately, people would come back and they would, they would, not, they would feel isolated. They would sit in uh, the different cafeterias with just the people that went abroad because they were the only people that knew what happened when they were gone and what it was like coming back and not really feeling like they were in the normal routine. I think... I will tell you, I think that this is very similar to that. I've been talking to more and more people about, it's going to be weird coming back. Now, I know that for some of us, the discombobulation, we get it, and, you know, I'm wearing the masks, and it's slow, and even now, there's some uh, movement in, um, in our own city of just, you know, what the stats are and the graphs, and you can go online and see all that, and But I think it really is telling, and I I think these psalms that we're looking at are going to push that for our hearts, because what what I find is that uh, being discombobulated is actually not a bad thing. Being taken out of what we have been in and brought back together 
to make sense of what, it, what does it really mean to walk as a Christian and, be, and walk together? I mean, how interesting is it that we are so attached to our phones and such, and now we're so sick of seeing each other on them? I mean, and I do think from my own heart, and I know for yours, as much as what it also reveals is what, whatever we took into safer at home or whatever we want to call it, had only grew more in it. So if you were anxious, anxiety grew. If you felt disconnected, lonely, it only grew. Now, not all negative things, some positive things too, but, but what I think is interesting is that when we come back out of it, what we're seeing around us, mentioning that again, whether it's, it's you know, protesting, whatever uh, may be, injustices that are going on, how, I think the question that I always ask of the Bible and always ask what does it mean to be a Christian is, is this really relevant for what we're dealing with? Or is this just one of those psalms where it's like, oh, that's just sweet and sentimental? Or is it really going to uplift us in a way that really hits the core of what we really need? And we needed to be discombobulated maybe to see it. Maybe to receive it again. I know I've needed it. I've dealt with major anxiety. Anxiety I have not dealt with before I went into uh, this period. And some of it, I don't even know why. Maybe it's just the weight of everything. Maybe it's the pressure. I've talked to some of y'all about that for your own hearts and lives. So what is this psalm really getting at? When they wrote these psalms, they were called the Psalms of Ascent. And what it meant is exactly that. They were ascending. They were pilgrims going basically to uh, Jerusalem to a festival of worship. Psalm 120 through Psalm 134. That's what we're looking at this summer. And as they were going, it was a pilgrimage some almost 100 miles away, maybe even from Jerusalem, as they made this trek. And they were looking. As it says in this psalm in particular, you know, I lift my eyes up to the hills. That could have been a positive or negative thing. They could have been looking at the hills thinking, what's going to come out of these things that's going to attack me? Where is my help? Where does it come from? And I think no better than Nashville than to have a city that has a lot of music come out of it to know that the music here written was written for pilgrims, people on the road. And some of the best music ever written was on the road when we were, had to stop in the in-between times, the tension of a great place where we maybe played a concert here and then are finishing here. And that's where we all are. We're in that tension, that in-between. And these are the Psalms that, and some, some theologians say, they're, a, they're considered an anatomy of the soul. It's an anatomy. It's a mirror of what it's like and what we need. And it, no better psalm than now to say, where does help come from? Can we all just even say that? Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. Let's, we're going to look at this. There's one answer that he gives. We're just going to look at one simple thing, that God is a keeper. And he says it some, six times to that answer this, where does my help come from? From the keeper of us. What does it mean to, mean to be kept? So that's all we're going to look at just briefly this morning for our heat and for everything else. Um, you know, it, when he starts here, he says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slump, slumber nor sleep. What does it mean to be kept? It, it, it means to be held, right? It means to have someone uh, hold you. It means to have someone... Um, 
keep you close to them, thought of, right? As my mask falls to the ground. It means that someone has you there, right? Has you with them. And I'll tell you, why does he mention this here? Why does he will, he will not let your foot be moved and three times say uh, slumber nor sleep? Why does he mention that? Because we know the feeling of someone forgetting us, of not being thought of. And oftentimes we can feel that about God. We can feel that, okay, God, in, in, in this instance, praying to him and saying, are you there? Are you listening? One of the most difficult things I think we can do as human beings is to, to manage our hearts being kept. Meaning that we have people in our lives when we're feeling despair, loneliness, as we felt nearly probably every emotion along the spectrum. Who really holds us? Who thinks of us? Who keeps us? Isn't it amazing? I don't know about y'all. Isn't it amazing that some of the people we contacted during Safer at Home, whatever, are people we haven't talked to maybe in years. I had Zoom calls with people from college that I haven't literally talked to in probably 15 years, maybe more. Crazy, because we're thinking of who keep, where, where are the relationships that hold us? Uh, the Atlantic had a great article on, on, on this and how we feel on the lessons of impermanence. He just simply says this, the lessons of impermanence and the systems of separateness intertwine constantly, complementing and reinforcing each other, quickening and emboldening the familiar human proclivities that they encourage us to distrust one another because we attribute to others the same attachment or detachment to the freedom as others do as we discern in ourselves. We have that fear. So we play this game of detachment. It's already deep within us, but this time forced me, I don't know about you, but it forced me and I hope it forced you to say, who really keeps me? See, our nature is to move and to have that freedom and independence because we're afraid that no one really keeps us, so I gotta keep myself. But God, what, so this is why the psalmist says, it's so important to be kept. Where does our help come from? It could have gone anywhere, right? Because our help could have come from God is a warrior. God is, you know, a million different characteristics, but he spends six layers of saying God keeps us. He holds us. Historically in the Bible, when you read about gods, small g gods, um, it's all about when they keep, keep you or don't keep you, it means they're either asleep or not. Welcome to the outdoors. And it means that if you're praying and you don't hear an answer back, maybe your God is asleep. This happens in a couple places in the Bible where uh, Elijah, this prophet, is, uh, is uh, having a discourse with a group of other prophets called from Baal, of, a, of, a, of another God. And they keep trying to call down Baal, their God, and they, Baal didn't answer. And they, he keeps saying, maybe your God's asleep. Maybe you should wake him up. He kind of mocks him a little bit. <laughs> because that's the thought. Isn't that what we feel often? But, but what this means is, is that God is watching us. The word actually keep could be translated a number of ways, but here, maybe in some of your Bibles, it's watchman. The picture is more of a guardian who watches over. It was somebody who would sit in a tower and watch over the entire city. And if that watchman was taken out, the city could be taken over. It didn't mean there was an anxiety in the city. It didn't mean there wasn't difficulty and discord and, and trouble within what was going on, but there was a watchman watching over the whole time, keeping it safe from everything coming in. And that's what God is doing. That is the, the picture. God is keeping us through all these things. 
And it's not about having a charmed life. I, I, think, I think one of the things that can be missed here is, is keeping mean that we're, is an absence of trouble. D- are we measuring being kept by God that everything is going smoothly? Or maybe in the storm, our electricity went out, but we got it back on. Uh, those kind of things. It's more than that. Keeping, God's keeping of you and I is not, a me- is not measured by how well your life is going. It's measured by the relationship you have with Him. It's measured by who is keeping you rather than how your life is measured out. And so it's hard sometimes because emotionally we can feel distant, whereas theoretically in reality, God keeps us. I mean, right? Emotionally, we can feel distant and we can do that. You can do that even with people that you've spent time with in your own homes for the last months. And you can be as close as possible to them and yet feel distant. What this is saying is, yet there is that deep relationship that we don't weigh our emotions on God's keeping us either. And yet it's okay to feel that. It's okay to to go, God, and this is what he's doing. Where does my help come from? He's crying out, right? Even the psalm right before this, God, where are you? I have to encounter all this evil, and yet, where are you? Because God, is, in his wisdom, is watching over us. He's holding us. He's keeping us. There's a difficulty sometimes of knowing the difference and, and holding true to what we know is true, and yet letting our emotions and maybe our circumstances tell us otherwise, that God, eh, are you really keeping us? But we have to remember there's a wisdom differential between this God who keeps us and not. I remember when uh, my oldest son, Jake, uh, he used to have a lot of ear infections. And when he was really little, uh, some of you may have had this or have done this for your own children. Uh, He had to go have tubes put in his ears because the ear infections just kept coming. And tubes actually relieve that pressure and allow your ears to kind of heal. And they eventually fall out and your ears kind of uh, usually gain equilibrium and, and, and do okay. But man, taking him there uh, when he was really little was such a, a, an odd and difficult process because I remember going with him and Megan and I going uh, and taking him and then all of a sudden the doctors come out and they, um, they say, okay, you all ready? And we're like, okay. And we hand Jake to them and they say, y'all stay here and they walk away. And that feeling of just watching him and him not understanding and literally turning and climbing over the back of this person as these doors closed and the idea of this difficulty of Jake saying, no, 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 no. Why am I being taken? All to have this surgery that would relieve. He didn't know. We felt the pain of that. He had to go through surgery in order to have it, but it was all because of the wisdom of what we knew if we didn't go through this, if he didn't, wasn't put in this, that he wouldn't be made more on the other side. His hearing wouldn't happen. God keeps us in those ways. His wisdom, we have to humble ourselves to know that. Even though it feels completely out of control and we feel like we don't have the power to control it, doesn't mean that God isn't in control, that there's not control happening. And that's where we have to humble ourselves to know that. And it's really hard. That's why he goes to even say this, the, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice right now? Just shade. The scorching sun in the Middle East was that. It was way worse than this. It continues to be. It is one of those places where the sun bears down and just 
over and over in the Bible, this is a metaphor. Shade from that heat is just a constant thing in the Bible to tell us. And even so, it's, what's interesting, he says, nor the moon by night. Now, how do we get burned by the moon? You don't get burned by the moon, but the point of that was in some of those religions and cultures, the moon was understood as even possibly being another god or even could cause some sort of illness. That's where we get the word lunatic, comes from lunar. That's where it came from, that they thought it might be that. But the point of what it's saying here is, I lift my eyes up the hill. Where did the help my, does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I don't know if y'all got to see it or were here during it, but remember the eclipse a few years ago? Isn't that weird? A few years ago now. It was amazing, amazing opportunity to see these incredible three massive bodies of the universe line up so much that we sat in utter darkness for a few seconds and animals around us were freaking out. We got to watch it as with glasses, as these things just all lined up together. And you just felt this incredible sense of being small. Annie Dillard, who's a a great uh, kind of poet, I'd say, uh, wrote about this when she encountered an eclipse. She said, what happened was it began with no ado. It was an odd thing. Such a well-advertised public event should have no start, that has no starting gun, no overture, no introductory speaker. I should have known right then I was out of my depth. Without pause or preamble, silent as orbits, a piece of the sun went away. We looked at it through welder's goggles. A piece of the sun was missing. In its place, we saw empty sky. I had seen a partial eclipse in 1970. A partial eclipse is very interesting. It bears almost no relation to a total eclipse. Seeing a partial eclipse bears the same relation as to seeing a total eclipse as, uh, as kissing a man does to marrying him, or as flying in an airplane does to falling out of an airplane. Although the one experience precedes the other, it in no way prepares you for it. If God is this much in, this is the point of what he's saying, if God is this much in control of the greatest bodies that govern both the day and the night, he's not just the one who we cry out to help for. The help comes from the maker of these things. He's not just someone else that winds the clock, that lets the things pass. He's the one who allows us to experience such rich things as watching three large masses line up and we we just sit with no starting gun, nothing. And yet we were totally out of our depth. And this is what the psalmist is feeling, totally out of his depth. And that's why we cry upward to him, to the one who holds us, He's the one that has us. He's the one that keeps us. The psalm is deeply personal and relational because it's about us being kept. If he can keep those in orbit, if he is the one who keeps the largest masses we know of in line and in and out of orbit, don't you know he keeps us here? He holds us. This is the difference between us loving the map rather than just the map maker. Think about this. So many of us have been stuck with our phones, right? Imagine you're driving somewhere. Hopefully you're able to go somewhere soon. If you haven't gone on vacation, imagine you're going by yourself and all you have is your phone and you get lost. It would be great to have your phone, but what 
Would you rather have your phone, especially now answering this question, or would you rather have someone in the car with you when you are lost? Would you rather have the map and all the navigation and all the things you could figure out right there and figure it out? Or would you rather, when you are lost, trying to figure it out with no signal maybe on your phone, coming in and out, have someone sitting next to you that you're with, that's with you in it? That experience that we've all had, it's like, how can we be with? That is God's keeping us. It's Him being with us. And oftentimes it's easy. It's easy for me to love the map more than the map maker, more loving knowing what's going to happen next. It's felt a lot like for all of us, we've been in the back of a U-Haul and it's just been driving and then all of a sudden we can't see anything out and then we just feel a turn and we hit the side. But what God is wanting to show here in the psalm is loving, instead of where the map is, loving the map more, loving knowing exactly what's going to happen next, that He's with us. He keeps us. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't fall asleep on you. He doesn't, he doesn't take His time limited to say, I need a break from you. As much as we may feel that from Him, He never, ever does that. He watches. He keeps. He keeps all those things all the way to the fact that he says, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. That the going out and coming in, that every moment, the going out and coming in is every single step along the way. It's the fact of time. Time just continues to roll on, doesn't it? You looked up, it was crazy. Even in a little spot in our house, you have those little Dots, Megan put a great, great sign. She said, what day is it? You know, the t-shirt, like what in the world? Time over these last few months has just been like, what? And yet for God, every moment he has this. He's not saying what day is it? He's saying, I have you. I keep you. And you know what tells me the difference in Christianity and then anything else? Is this right here. This table right here expresses the complete difference of what it means to be kept in Christianity versus anything else. Because it would be easy for, for us, and I know it is for me, to look to the map more than the map maker, to look at creation, to look at the sun and the moon, and instead look, we need to look past it to the maker. Because what this table tells us that we've been longing to come back to, and I can tell you I have been longing to come back to this table, because it reminds you and I, that God didn't just sit there. He didn't just sit up there and line planets. He actually put himself into the going out and coming forth. See, in Jesus, he comes into the going and coming. All the evils that we have encountered that we see right now going on against everyone, Jesus puts himself specifically into the evil. God does that. That's the uniqueness of Christianity. See, that's what calls us to not be just kept in a defensive posture, in a passive posture. But because we're kept, we can be on the offense. Because we have a God that didn't just sit back. He came into it, in incarnate, and took on the evil, and let his foot slip, and let himself be taken away. And let himself look up to heaven and say, where does my help come from? And in that one moment, he did not hear his father 
speak back. So that we would. That's what this table is. That's what you get to taste. <laughs> You'll get to see in that little package you got. Because no matter what you're doing, that's the reality. It's the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That's our reality. So I'm going to read what <clears throat> for us together. I will not ask you to stand. But this is a, a call and response confession to our communion. So, and I really want to hear you loudly, if you can. I have the microphone, but I want you to out-speak out me with this. Is the Father with us? He is. Is Christ among us? He is. Is the Spirit here? He is. This is our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are His people. We are redeemed. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up unto the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God and right to give Him thanks and praise. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. It was on that night that Jesus was betrayed that he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Take, eat, all of you. Experience the injustices done against your Lord and Savior so that you might have mercy and you might have justice. This is the blood of the Lord Jesus poured out for the forgiveness of sins. For the new covenant in his blood, he said. That means this is a new relationship that you have with God because of Jesus. When you cry out for help, his ear is always listening, even before you cried out, because his blood is shed for you. So as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And if he has come once to experience all that we have and more, he's going to come again and make it all right. It says even in Revelation, in Revelation, the very end of the Bible, what is the new heavens and the new earth? It doesn't even have doors on the, on the gates. You know why? Because we're so safe in him. We're so kept. There's not even need for a watchman anymore. That's what we long for. That's where we're going. This process for us this morning, just to describe for you how we're going to be doing this. There's a small container, the size. There are two before you pull on it. There's a small transparent top and then another one. So the bread is on top of the wine. If you pull both, you'll, you'll miss it. Okay? I know this is going to be new. I told you embrace the awkward. Here we are. And what we will do is you'll hold it, hold the cup and hold the bread and we'll take the bread together. We'll have a moment of pause and then we'll have the wine together. Or ju it's actually juice, sorry. Juice together. And then we'll pause and then we'll finish together. Okay? Let's say our words of Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. And therefore, let us keep the feast. The gifts of God are for the people of God. Let us take the bread together.